Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Welcome to the Cultivating Success Podcast. Jeff Sofer and Jonathan Wolfson are brothers and business partners of the top landscaping company, Nature's Experts. Nature's Experts is home to six companies that cater to all your outdoor needs. To learn more about Jeff and Jonathan, simply visit us at www.naturesexperts.com. On the podcast, Jeff and Jonathan bring together other business owners and entrepreneurs to share with you how they developed a prosperous company and how you can too. You will gain insights and meaningful advice on creating the building blocks to success and longevity in the entrepreneurial realm. And now, here are your hosts, Jeff Sofer and Jonathan Wolfson. So Andy, welcome to the Cultivating Success Podcast. We are happy to have you here today. I always love spending some time uh, with you to kind of dive deep into the business acquiring field and really understand what is actually going on out there and what is people really thinking as they're buying and selling a business. This is a big get for us to have Andy Cagnetta on with us on the Cultivating Success podcast. This is the biggest get we've had so far, Andy. <laughs> I was just about to say the same thing. It's the biggest get to have the two of you in the same room and be together. So, uh, you know, you you are Transworld's finest customers and a great success story. So we're happy to, I'm happy to be here. Well, thank you, Andy. I think first, let's let everyone know, obviously we know each other really, really well. Uh, I'd like first explain to our listeners exactly what business do you own and how actually have you gotten to this point? I think your story is really absolutely outstanding. And I think you really have to really start from the beginning and to where you are right now, actually. Yeah, I keep telling people, people who congratulate me on my success, I keep saying it was a 27-year overnight success, right? So (laughs) I came down to Florida uh, many years ago looking to buy a business, and I had owned a couple small businesses before. I'm from New Jersey, if you couldn't hear it in my voice yet, and I came down to buy a business looking... and. I had bought and sold a business in Connecticut and never had, I never wound up uh, using a business broker because I didn't know what one was. And then I came down to Florida uh, and I started looking to buy a business and uh, ran into Transworld. And by the way, that's where I am. I'm Andy Cagnetta from Transworld Business Advisors, and which is a business brokerage. And I went to this business brokerage, Transworld, to look to buy a business. And I had been to other business brokers before and felt like I was in a used car sales room. But I came to Transworld and was owned by Don and Bonnie Parrish, who I'm still still dear friends with. And um, they he was a 30-year IBMer, worked at NASA, really sharp guy. His wife was an amazing business broker, entrepreneur. And so they were, you know, very professional and invited me in to join them as a salesperson because they felt I didn't know what I wanted. And that's sort of true. I thought Florida was a bunch of old people, which it is, but it's uh, it's certainly more diverse than it used to be. One so, of the many demographics of Florida. Yes, yes. So we, uh, so I thought this is a great way to learn what Florida is all about, the business climate. Maybe I'll buy something. So I joined Transworld, did well in my first two years, and bought the company. And so that was back wow. in '97. Good timing, we were, then, right? Yeah, it was. We were one small little office in in Fort Lauderdale, and we started building the company. And we we've had some breaks across the way. You know, we've hired some great people. Like uh, I know you work with Randy Brain a lot, and one of my partners. And we built the company up from one office to eventually ten offices here in Florida, which we still own and operate. And twelve years ago, in nineteen. Um, excuse me, 2010, the economy was, you know, really rough back then. The We were in the midst of the economic downturn, uh, the Great Recession, as you would call it. And we decided, you know, expanding via um, organic growth was just going too slow. And we decided we needed partners. And what's a great partnership uh, structure? 
that we should investigate is franchising. So we decided to franchise Transworld. And in looking into franchise, into franchising, one of my big things is you must have the tools to succeed. You know, you got to put the tools in place for you to be successful. And I really felt we did not have the tools to succeed in franchising. Andy, do you mean that you need to have a prototype for people to follow? Well, we had the business brokerage prototype, right? That's we were really confident in our model. So explain what you mean to everybody and to us, frankly, what you mean by the tools. What do you mean? What didn't you have? You know, we didn't know we didn't know the legal structure of franchising. We didn't know the FTC rules. We didn't know how to grow a franchise through sales, like going to franchise shows or advertising on portals. Uh, We didn't know how to collect royalties or what the legalities of collecting royalties. There's a lot going, you know, franchising businesses. Uh, how how you actually sell and train franchisees? It's you know it really it's a different business. It, it it's yeah. a whole different business. So we didn't feel confident in our skills in doing that uh, to launch a franchise from scratch. So an attorney we were working with, Keith Canoes up in Boca Raton, said, "Hey, you should talk to the folks at United Franchise Group," and they had already started a business brokerage uh, that they had just really kind of gotten off the ground and we met and we decided to merge and and have a joint venture 50-50. And that was in 2010 and you know this is 12 years later and we are now you know 225 offices plus across the world, you know 700 brokers running around the world and Wowza. it's been very successful. So Andy, I think a really good point I want to bring to that is that you know you came to a certain crossroad in your professional career. 10 offices to most people is like, you've made it. And then if you are lucky enough to have 10 more eventually and you have 20, and then if you work for another X amount of years and you have 30, you're on top of the world, so to speak, right? And I think that it's really impressive that you were able to understand what you actually needed to actually make sure to have a successful partnership. You actually have to have a partner that can bring something to the table equal but opposite of what you can. So obviously, when you went to Nides Franchise Group, they couldn't do what you did. You know what I mean? And, but you didn't really know exactly how to infiltrate that kind of market to where it's like, you know, I would assume, and I don't know exactly, but I would assume this has yielded you far greater results versus trying to do it by yourself and, you know, paying for your own docs, figuring out, staffing your own people, doing all that kind of stuff or whatever. This model, it seems like, you know, the fact that you're able to partner up with someone who is already experienced in the field really almost traject like, it completely sent you into a new stratosphere. Is John right? Yes, he is. He's absolutely right. And it's funny, you know, oftentimes people call me and my partner, we have a yin and yang kind of relationship. You know, we definitely do two different things, you know, and even have two different management styles. And, but it's very complimentary and we respect each other a lot for each other's skills and each other's companies that we've built. And uh, it's been incredibly successful. Uh You know, it's funny, you know, if you would have asked me in the first five years of starting our franchise, should you have franchised, you know, back then when you're building a company and you're pouring money into it and not necessarily that we were pouring money that because it was losing money, we were just taking all the money we had and kind of reinvesting it and growing it. And when you're in a growth mode, as you know, you know, that could certainly chew into uh, any profits you have. In fact, you sometimes have to pay uh, taxes on profits when you're reinvesting it in in, in new things. Don't we know it? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we know that. Right? Yeah, you're preaching to the choir here. Yeah. Well, so that's, that's the time usually I think when people get disenchanted and they don't right. realize that's actually the point in which you're literally so close that's to so success. True. That is so true. And it's like it's the most difficult point is when you're the closest to it almost, yeah. you know? I often tell people, and, and you know, again, we sell businesses, we meet with lots of business owners, we've met with lots of business owners who are at that point. You know, again, at five years in, if you would have asked me, should you have franchised, I might have looked you in the eye and said, I'm not so sure. If we would have just opened up an Atlanta office and a Charlotte office and manned it, we would have been making about the same amount of money. But, you know, we had the foresight to say, yeah, but Still, we're not going to be able to do that across the country, across the world without partners. 
And so uh, I often describe it to business owners as you're on a roller coaster, right? And the scariest time is when you can't see over the other big hump and you're yes. climbing this huge hump and you're about to have the ride of your life, but you want to bail because it's clicking and you can hear the clicks, click, 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 click. And it's really the tough part. And that's, you know, that's the scariest part for entrepreneurs. It is during that growth mode. It is because you're, um, you know, when you're growing, you're you're burning money and uh, it could definitely be a scary time. So many things you're saying are uh, touching me because you, you know what got me actually what? was literally in my head. I'm thinking you're, you're saying you're going up a hill and I'm picturing being on a roller coaster, but you know, thinking more of in life or whatever. Yeah. And the click part, the click was like representing to me. I was like thinking to myself, like, you know, you're really as you're going through these difficult adversities. They can never be taken back from you. Yeah, that you you own them, and you're now moving forward from them every single time. Even if you actually fail in your adversary, even if you crumble, even if you cry, even if you burn money, upset, like you even said. if you burn money, it doesn't even matter what the actual outcome of it is or whatever. You actually are still pro- like moving forward or whatever. With each click, you actually have completed another task, another um, part of your development, a part of the understanding of your business, another part of understanding what you can actually do, you know, what you need support with, so on and so forth. It just really, that that really resonated well with me. Yeah. You said earlier that, you know, we could have stopped at 10. Yeah, absolutely. We could have stopped at 10 offices in Florida, been happy in Florida, made money. You could have just had the one. A lot of guys have one. So let's, let's not even go from there. Just one. They have one office. That's what they do. That's the office. That's where they work out of. That's it. So I would like to say to you to talk about John talking about your expanding. What do you think it is? Are you, would you just define yourself as basically a serial entrepreneur? Yeah, I think I'm a serial entrepreneur. I do like to feel that my strength is working with people. uh, And then I like, you know, organizing large groups of people you know, so we could all row in one direction. And so I think that's, you know, been the thrill for me is continuing to watch it grow. People have always asked me, Andy, did you ever imagine that trans world get this big? And I say, no, I didn't imagine it be the, being this big. I would you never didn't imagine. It. I'm sorry. You no, didn't okay. imagine for it being this big, but yet you're the one that was in the front seat on the roller coaster and you wanted the front seat. So what do you mean you never imagined? You had to have somehow imagined that's or thought, inter- that's what is question. possible? Like, that's an interesting question because so at a certain point, you have to have like the worth has to make sense, right? Like so like at a certain point, you have to be like, listen, I'm going to buckle down. The goal was to have 100 yeah. and then you end up with 50 or my goal is 1,000 yeah. and you have 500 or whatever. There had to be some goal, right? Like what was the fuel? Well, listen, I... I I'll always admit that I wanted to be a successful entrepreneur. So I mean, that was absolutely, that was absolutely my goal. I definitely, you know, I thought, and you know, I I was pissed off that I was 28 years old or 29 turning 30 and I wasn't already a multimillionaire. I thought for sure that I'd be able to figure it out by then. So that's literally, I, I think for people listening, I think that's as basic and elementary as it can get. That that just that feeling drove you to be like, well, why don't we? Why don't? What if I tried this? Maybe this will get me to be a quote success like I've always dreamed of being. You right. know, you know, I I almost want to say, and it and it's interesting, and I I believe in you know helping and mentoring people because I was always told that I was going to be a success. Mm-hmm. Like I, you know, even I think I'm a humble person, and so and some people say like you're too humble. And because I know where I came from, right? And and people always told me, you're going to be successful. You're going to be successful. It, it was almost self-ingrained in me that, right. well, I got to do that because people right. have been telling me for years right. I'm going to do it. <laughs> it's like my obligation. The power, of, the power of positive reinforcement and affirmations. You know, and you nurturing. Will, you literally I mean, willed it. Yeah. And nurturing. I mean, you know, I, I feel, and again, I'm sure we'll talk about it a little bit. It's kind of the reason why I give back. I mean- not everybody has that fortune of having supportive uh, family and friends and, you know, just being in the right place at the right time. Who was the one person or was there one specific person 
that really played the most predominant role and really, uh, you know, right. instinctually, um, you know, sort of sparking those things in you or that you emulated yourself after? I mean, you know, I want to say my parents. I mean, of course, I, I was very fortunate to have like two amazing parents, but my dad wasn't an entrepreneur. And I, I do tell this story a little bit too. He's an engineer, big corporate uh, company, worked his way up, did a great job, you know, second person in uh, our immigrant family to go to college. And he would complain about, you know, the corporate structure and annual bonuses and corporate politics. And it almost <laughs> like the, at the dinner table, I'm thinking, I'm never going to work for a big company. <laughs> so, so that's so it was almost thing. the opposite, yeah. right? But that's, an, that's another thing. So, so basically, it wasn't really that he was playing a role um, by actually what he did. It was really what he played a role in stuff that you didn't like and you didn't want, you know, to be experiencing that certain things that he experienced. So that was really interesting that you learned that and saw that and realized, you know, I don't want that. So in order not to have that, you know, there's something else I have to do to put myself in that position. So I yeah, got I mean, Andy, a question now for myself now, because the thing is, I had a similar my dad actually was an entrepreneur, but he did so many things that I didn't want to do. That's how I got to where I was is by knowing what not to do. So the question for me, though, is so now that I am an entrepreneur, you're an entrepreneur. How do you teach that? You know, you have kids also, too. So how do you teach that to your kids to just, you know, the world is abundant kind of thinking kind of? Yeah, I mean, so, uh, you know, with both my kids, uh, I've brought them through Transworld training, even though they don't work for Transworld, and I don't necessarily want them to work for Transworld. And I think we've taught them over the years that it is all about, you know, going out there in the world and trying things. And, you know, I wrote an article on failure and I and I shared it with my kids as well. It's like failure is good. I mean, that means you're mm -hmm. trying. That mm -hmm. means you're learning. If you don't fail in life, or, you know, and you can't walk around and saying, I'm sorry, or you can't understand what failure is, you're not going to be successful. Can you it's, say the thing about the I'm sorry again, please? I think it, you know, listen, you, you have to be able to say you're sorry. I mean, that you have that's to. A, do you, yes, you really have do. to. I think Interesting. so. Yeah. How about <laughs> taking responsibility for your actions? I think I you're, think so. you're, saying Come on. you're saying that that goes no one's with. perfect. Yes, no, right. <laughs> obviously, I've. Struck a nerve here. So I, yeah. So I've got a question for you. You've definitely struck a struck. <laughs> well, Jeff actually just can't so talk. You know, he's so busy he laughing. Only, he only has two chords. And I think those are both of them. Actually, no, it's three. I think it's money. I'm sorry. And taking responsibility. I think he has three chords on his personal guitar. <laughs> Again, I've been accused of saying I'm sorry too often, but I, I think that's a good thing. I think that's, you know, first of all, I'll take responsibility. I mean, I'm sitting in the big chair. And if something happens in my company, even if somebody did something, it's still sort of my fault. I mean, it's I'm sitting in yeah, the chair. Sure, sure. I got to take and I will apologize. I'll say I'm sorry. Even if I didn't do it, I'm sorry that that happened to you. So to play on that, I have an interesting question for you that I often ask people. So you're raised as a little boy to be, hey, Andy, say you're sorry. Andy, right. better go take responsibility for what you just did to little Joey, whatever. And then you grow up and guess what? And I'm going to use this number. 99.9% .9 of people, they do not want to apologize. They do not want to take responsibility for their actions personally or professionally. They do not. They will do anything to squirm out of saying they're sorry or taking responsibility. Why do you think if we're all taught that? Because we are all taught that pretty much. So if we're taught that, why when we get older, is that something that people are ashamed of doing, afraid of, insecure about? What do you think about that? Well, I, I think one of the things is, is that uh, in society, we, we haven't given enough people a second chance, right? So mm -hmm. if the ultimate, you know, if the punishment for doing something wrong is so severe that you could never recover from it, I certainly understand people never wanting to say, I did that. I'm sorry. Mm -hmm. Right. So, so even in my company, if somebody does something bad and they understand this, it's kind of hard to get fired. I mean, I understand people are human. I understand people have bad days. I've had people that have had fights, you know, literally almost physical fights. Oh boy. <laughs> We've and had people having that too. Right. And you have to really, you know, we're not running a manufacturing firm. We're running a 
a human services firm and there's humans involved and humans are imperfect. Humans make mistakes. Humans have bad days. Why is it so hard for all these humans to accept that about themselves and without feeling funny or embarrassed? Why can't they just admit I'm wrong? I'm sorry. Or I take responsibility for it because I'll tell you this related to business. It would make all businesses. If you're not talking about, let's not talk about personal. We'll just talk about business. It would make businesses run a hell of a lot better and a hell of a lot more efficient and a hell of a lot of things would get done quicker if people would just take responsibility for their actions and apologize for things that they do wrong. And they don't. Yeah. And again, unfortunately, sometimes that the the result of doing something wrong is so great that, you know, as a business owner, you never want to admit that you made a mistake, perhaps, and you know, somebody's going to sue you now. And now you have in writing, you said you were sorry. And now you're, you know, and we're going to sue you and it's going to cost you hundreds of thousands of dollars for a mistake you made instead of just saying the other person going, it's okay, let's make up for it. You know, give me another service or make up for it a little bit. Or, you know, it's always got to be like this knee jerk, huge reaction. So, so I think if we all calm down a little bit, you know, and Understand that people do miss. Maybe, listen, I, one great example right now is the service industry, uh, hospitality restaurants, right? You go out for a meal these days. Number one, it's going to be expensive. Mm-hmm. Number two, the service might be slow, imperfect. Mm-hmm. And you have to realize that when you're going out to dinner, especially if in, you're in a large group, that these restaurants are undermanned. And the staff lacks training, perhaps. Right. And the manager and the people in charge, owner, has to realize you're going to get complaints. Right. You're going to get, and you are going to have to take responsibility for it. Right. And they should walk up to the table, say, I'm sorry. Right. Now, the people at the table have to realize they don't get dinner for free. That's not going to work for the restaurant if they give everybody free if their meal was five minutes late. I'm more fascinated with people that own the restaurant or that are the manager. I'm more fascinated with them not saying I better take responsibility because most human beings are hostile and angry if they don't get decent or good service. So I should cut it off at the pass and walk up to everyone and say, just want to make sure that you understand that if anything's slow or anything's this or anything's that, you know, what's happening, you know, with every restaurant pretty much and all the staffing, we're aware of this and we're very happy you're here, but people don't do that. They put themselves in a juxtaposition of being taught to do that, but then they get older, a switch goes and they're not like that anymore. And I think if people remember those things, it would, you know, make things easier and better for them. Yeah, we were at a restaurant, 80th birthday party for my mother-in-law just the other night, right? We had, I don't know, 15 people. Dinners come out. Half the dinners come out. The other half were waiting there for yeah, 15 that's minutes. Rough. 15 that's minutes, rough. right? It wouldn't go over with our group of our group <laughs> Right, of right. And it wasn't going over with our group either. But again, we understood, yeah. went outside, made sure they knew that we were still waiting for another eight dinners. Um, they said they did. They brought him forward. Manager comes over, apologizes afterwards, brings out two bottles of Prosecco during the cake. That's very nice. This is on the house. So sorry you had to wait for your dinners. Um, Thank you for coming here to celebrate. Done. Yeah. I'd go back. I think this is a very good segue, actually, to get into one of the segments that you actually do uh, sell at Transworld and being a business broker. And I think it'd be interesting for everyone to know how is the restaurant industry going right now, actually, as far as buying, selling, trading, uh, franchises, Marketing. all of that stuff? How is it actually going? Because you're, you know, at Transworld being business brokers, they have an under the hood perspective of exactly what's going on in businesses today. So it's not like an objective opinion where you're talking about your own business, like everything is all great and it's not. But you're saying the changes in the market, they're always there, always understanding what changes in the market. When you, you know, at Transworld, they are learning about the business with the person who's selling the business. They are looking at the financials. They're looking at the inventory. They're looking at, you know, they're creating their intangibles to become a tangible so they actually can sell it. Mm -hmm. So really all these different components you know, Andy and his team really, that's, that's what they do. That's what their job is. So I think you're really a great person. And I think it would be interesting for everyone to know it was hit so hard, you know, the restaurant industry, 
how is it actually looking right now? Obviously, you mentioned you know prices are rising. I think we all can understand that. But how is it actually working as far as bottom lines and people buying and selling? So so far, it's so historically, Transworld has somewhat lagged the market, right? So even in 2008, 2009, when the world was blowing up, we still had a good 2009 because we're still cleaning up and selling deals. And so it kind of lags the market. Valuations are based on past financials, although they're supposedly looking forward. Um, they still rely heavily on past financials. So as things are still coming down, the past financials are good and prices still stay up and then they dip, right? So do I expect things to dip? The short answer is yes. Now, what's happened in the restaurant industry is interesting, right? So we went from number one sales and across trans world is usually restaurants. They trade hands a lot. To 2020 and into 2021, not selling as many restaurants. Why? Because a lot of restaurants went out of business during yeah. the pandemic COVID, and right. they closed their doors. And so what you franchises, saw- Have franchises think- started approaching you guys to try to sell their businesses more than? Um, yes and no. I, you know, you, so a lot of businesses didn't come on the market. In fact, our inventory is halved and still has not recovered. Really? So in Florida, Transworld would carry about mm, 1,200 to 1,400 listings. Currently, we're carrying around 700. And that's not a trans world thing. That's across the business brokerage world. And we're still selling as many businesses as we did before. You said there's a lot less inventory and things are selling very well. I would think there'd be like more inventory because I would think people are like making changes. I would think so too, because the thing is, is that, well, of course you're selling the same because what happens when there's less inventory? It creates more of a demand. So yeah. there's still buyers out there. And you know, people ask me, do you think it's going to slow down in the future? And I'm like, well, if half the buyers go away because they're not as much risk takers as they were, we'd still have plenty of buyers for the businesses we have. So I don't think it's going to slow down. Will prices come down somewhat because of increased interest rates? Yes. So why didn't restaurants, uh, why do restaurants calm down and and why, you know, so one of the reasons and why didn't a lot more come up for sale? PPP. Right. So Mm. a lot of businesses decided to hang on because they felt, okay, this is going to be temporary. We're going to hang on for dear life and we've got some PPP. We're going to hang on now. Some restaurants couldn't make it. Right. So we saw some larger restaurants, some high, you know, restaurants that did not have outdoor space. Yes. Went out of business. Right. Yes. So they go out of business. What happens right after the pandemic's over? How many restaurants do you know that were like good restaurants upgraded their space because they moved into a better space because it was wide open? And mm-hmm. a lot of restaurants, but a lot of people who wanted to open up restaurants had a pick. They like, there's all these landlords with these empty restaurants. We're just going to go. So our sales come down. All these oh, people so go into- Independent people are really, you think, making a move into the restaurant market right now where they're actually able to pick locations. Previously before, there were no locations. Like you were lucky if there was a new construction and then maybe you could get on the list to have a restaurant or something built there. Now there actually is, you can figure out where is your customer, so to speak. There there was. I'd say in late 2020 and early 2021, there was, you could have looked for a space and found one. Now, right now, 2022 into 2023, no space is open anymore. And in fact, franchises are coming to us. Franchisors are coming to us, begging us for second generation space. Yeah, where and can we go? <laughs> where can we go? Yeah. And why? The other thing is construction is incredibly expensive and supply chain issues for stainless steel and refrigeration and Man. plumbing, all that stuff makes people say, oh my God, if we have to start a, a restaurant from scratch and build it out, it could cost us a million dollars. Maybe we could find a failed restaurant for half a million dollars and buy it. Very interesting. You know, it's, it's, always, it's always interesting to really know what's going on in the actual market and how it's changing. And it's, I really, I expected that the inventory was down. And then, you know, but you don't realize when inventory is down, it creates an, an artificial demand also too. Because when the person on the other line says, these are my only two businesses that fit your criteria, you think to yourself, oh my God, all the rest of them have been captured. 
there's only two. What happens when these are gone? Yeah. You know what I mean? People don't yeah. realize, obviously, you know, the business buying and selling is it's constant. You know, every single month there's businesses being bought and sold and changing hands and so on and so forth. How about other sectors? Um, what do you see? Do you have, you know, sort of new industries, new spaces, so to speak? You know, being offered that maybe there's more of those than there used to be. What do you so we're selling more, trends. We're selling more construction businesses than okay. we ever have. That's a trend. Um, so the construction industry, people do see, listen, we have a shortage of housing. We live here in Florida. I, I mean, historically, there was a thousand people a day moving to Florida. It's probably even worse now that worse or better. You know, there's tons of people moving to Florida. And so I don't think that's going to slow down much. Now, of course, interest rates going up, you know, mortgage carry costs going up. People, it may sl- slow it down some. And of it's course, not going to stop it, though. It's not going to stop it. So I think the construction industry is going to continue to see a good run. And we're seeing people put money into that. So that it used to be services, you know, it, like landscaping and or like beauty or cleaning or that was kind of our second biggest um, marketplace, but construction has now surpassed that. So construction is number two. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, you know, probably services number three and medical number four. I mm. mean, so medical has come up where, you know, um, testing facilities, uh, medical practices, pharmacies. Uh, so we're seeing a lot of uh, those kind of businesses being sold as well. I think we traded. should say, you know, we know Andy because we've gone through Transworld, and I would say we've partnered up with Randy Bring, who has been on this Cultivating Success podcast uh, previous to you, Andy. And we have not only used you for to find uh, listings for us that we would like about businesses that we're interested in, but Jonathan and myself are a little unusual in the sense that we have gone to you guys and said, hey, we want you to be a consultant. So there's businesses that we have found and we have gone to you and said, we will pay you just for your consulting. And you guys have been extremely helpful with that and really pivotal in uh, helping us buy the certain businesses that we've purchased, the trans world you know, just hasn't located for us or businesses that we wanted to buy that we sort of you know, were available like on the open market or we're sort of like pocket listings or things. Well, I think that brings up an interesting <clears throat> point too is that you know business brokers are out there to help their customers find the best solution they can for them. Sometimes the solution might not be available to Transworld. You know, the, not every business that's for sale is listed. You know, you have to obviously have your own yeah. network of people and you know, we have, you know, as you're growing a business or as you are looking into different businesses that you're interested in, you know, you start connecting with people, meeting people, and sometimes you get to them before they're actually ready to list the business. And, you know, Transworld is a company too, where I feel like, you know, I appreciate the fact that they've been willing to, you know, really inform to what our needs were, you know, our, our needs, we didn't look, we didn't connect with Transworld be like, oh, we're going to find our own business and have them help consult with us. Right. It just, you know, organically happened as you open the door in your mind to like what the possibilities are and what direction you want to go. You're saying you're looking in other different ways. And you're saying you just knew they were there for us. If, if in fact we did find something, we knew they were there for us. Absolutely. And I really wanted Andy to explain his company's process of how they really go, how they handle their customers, because I think that's a really important part of the growth of Transworld is this process that he's really trained to everybody because to have 200 plus offices is unbelievable. And the thing is that you're dealing with not one type of business. You can create a process if you're like, oh, we only sell restaurants, that means you have to train people that know what to do with restaurants and construction and beauty and medical and all these different things. So it's it's like a business that has so many different hats. I'd like to understand a little bit of you know what is Transworld's process for training? So usually, and for training, we have a week-long training program. And I always tell people, and for owners of offices, it's two weeks. And I always tell people in training, which they're here right now, and Randy Bring is teaching them right now. It doesn't end there. We have, you know, I'm still learning. It's 27 years in and I'm constantly learning about my business and what's going on in my mm-hmm. business. Right. And that's really key. I mean, that's why you hire us because it's not necessarily buying the business and 
that's not the hard process. The process is all the things that go on inside of that, whether it's the insurances, whether it's negotiating with the sellers, whether it's negotiating with the CPAs or the investment advisors or the attorneys. And any one of those things in this complicated process can go wrong and you're out of a deal. And egos get involved and, you know, back to, you know, people who can't say they're sorry or people who get dug into the ground with a number in their head. And really, our job is to facilitate the process and get it done. And a lot of times we're acting as psychologists and our process does start with the seller usually. Now, you guys are a little different. You bring us into deals that you found, but usually we're out there in the marketplace. People come to us and say, we want to sell. Our job is to then show them what we think the marketplace will bear as far as a price is concerned, package up that business and advertise it and bring buyers together and do it confidentially and bring buyers to the marketplace, You know, get a deal going, cement that deal, go through a due diligence process, perhaps a financing process and get a deal done. And what I always tell buyers, and this is you guys are perfect at this, is Buyers are at a disadvantage. They have been for 27 years that I've been in this business, except for maybe right after 9-11 or right after the economy blew up or right after the dot-com blow up. Like there's right there. If you were willing to buy a business the day March 2020, when everything was going haywire, you probably could have gotten a bargain. And I know you we guys did. did that actually. We by did. The way. I was just <laughs> gonna say we did. And I was gonna bring up and say that, you know, obviously you guys have helped us with all the deals, but one specifically really comes to mind right now, and that is our coastal gardens uh landscape professionals business, because I feel like with we found the deal, one of our people found the deal, brought it to Jonathan and myself, one of the people in our organization. Uh, brought it to Jonathan and myself. And then we, of course, brought it to Randy. And what the value that Randy had really, there was a lot of things. What really sticks out to me was Randy was able to really speak mother talk to the owner. And he was not a very you know, fluid, like really sophisticated business owner. He was good at what he did and he knew what he was doing, but he wasn't like, super, super like sophisticated. And Randy was able to talk to him and he had, he was very like polarizing. So like he had a specific idea. This is what it was. That was it. And Randy came in and gave him comps and showed him and had him understand what multiples were. I mean, he really explained the process that you explained well, this is to a buyer and he was a seller. You know, yeah, I mean? most of the time. And I, I say this, we, we, we had we been able pay- to make the deal that way. We get paid by the seller. And a lot of times the buyers are like, well, you get paid by the seller you're, and you get paid a percentage of the sale price. Therefore, you just want to drive up the price as high as it can go. And usually, usually our job is exactly that, bringing the seller into reality. They see online that you know Snapchat gets a hundred times earnings or billions yeah. times earnings. Yeah, or yeah, 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 they yeah. read that they should get five times earnings. And these are small businesses. Now, valuations have gone up over the past few years. It's gone from a two-time multiple to a three-time multiple on average. And as quality and quantity of earnings grow, so do multiples. So if something's making a million dollars, it could sell for four or five times. If something's making $100,000, it'll sell for two or three times. Right. So, But those multiples have been sneaking up, but usually people see these multiples or they have a cocktail party or their accountant tells them what their business should be worth. And it's completely off the charts. And everyone's emotionally tied to their business. So they feel like, you know, because they've been in it for so long that it's worth X. Yeah. So we often have to bring people into reality by showing them the comps, because again, our expertise is not in the landscaping business. It's not in the medical professional business. It's in the deal-making business. It's in the valuation. So we could bring them the comps. We could show them how deals are usually done. Again, people, well, my brother-in-law is an attorney. He's going to handle this deal for us. He's never handled the deal. He doesn't know what the norms are in a deal and what should be in the paperwork and what shouldn't be in the paperwork. And these are all things that we have to negotiate and bring. And sometimes You know, we convince sellers, hey, no offense, you have to fire your brother-in-law. He's not doing a good job. We have to bring in an attorney who's very well-versed at getting these kind of deals done. So we kind of bring those deals together. And again, 
It's an imperfect, it's a very complicated thing to buy a business. And it could fall apart at any juncture. It can fall apart the day before a closing. And, you know, we have lots of stories of why those kind of things do happen. And so being there, being able to find someone that will write an insurance policy or being able to call up the bank because we personally know the bank and I know the CEO and I say, no, 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 no. You guys promised to do this deal two months ago. Get with your underwriters and figure out how to get this deal mm-hmm. done. And that's been, you know, the key to our success. Success. So a point I'd like to make, you know, for, you know, what happened to us with Coastal Gardens is that, you know, we were, came to a crossroad. We have the owner there. He wants to sell. Jeff and I are, I would say, pretty good negotiators, right? We could obviously do it ourselves. The thing is, is that when you do that, it doesn't exactly formalize the process, I felt like. And, you know, you have to actually have a process to make the other person feel comfortable. Just because someone is willing to sell doesn't mean they're actually willing to sell to you. And just because they're willing to sell doesn't mean they want to disclose to you. And I feel like, you know, with buying and selling a business, from my experience and having the options, because we've had options, we could do it or try to do it ourselves or go through somebody like you. And ultimately, when you're buying a business, you want to protect yourself. And the thing is, is that having the closest facts and figures of exactly what is going on is the most important part of the negotiation, because it's really not a matter of if you pay 50 or $100,000 more, it's if you shouldn't buy the business at all. That's really the most important advice and information that you can get from the whole process. So, you know, Randy was, you know, really there more as a trusted advisor for both parties, represented by a trusted company to collect the information in a professional manner where it doesn't appear that it's coming to their competition, quote us, that, you know, we're going to take their information and try to like, you know, go after their customers and all that stuff. We definitely at this point have learned what you just said to either buy a business or don't. That's, what, that's what's important. The that. part that you buy it for, yeah. if you're planning on keeping the business for a long time, who cares if you spend a little bit more, yeah. but you certainly just, don't want to make the wrong a, decision. It's such a good point. It really, really is such a good point. We really do know after buying all these businesses and the opportunities we've had on businesses that we've gone down the road with that we haven't bought either. We really do know at this point, we were finally taught, John and I, uh, that there's businesses you buy and businesses you don't and what the certain signals and what the things are that get you to buy or not buy. And I think that is so important for people because if something, you know, where there's smoke, there's fire, sort of, so to speak, and digging through information, because, you know, there's so many line items and so many different factors to take into play and that come into play when you're buying a business. But I think to be able to identify what the ones are that you can't excuse or you can't get past is now what we know. Do you know what I mean? I do. Yeah. I think there's some great businesses out there. I, I mean, I know you bought a business in, in frames tree service, right? Yes. And, yes. and when you, when you buy that business, you know, it came down to just being able to negotiate with the seller to buy it because we both know the seller personally yes, and do. he's a wonderful person. Yes. And you know, like, you're not going to go wrong if that guy's going to be in your organization. Yeah. Right. I would say he's an, a very honorable person. Right. Right. So you got to get, you know, but you have to get him to be able to trust the process that he's not going down. And you talked about that being a trusted advisor, because this is the first time the sellers have ever sold it. They don't have anything to compare it to. Yeah. You know, when, when people come to me to buy, I, the first thing I tell them is you have to get into the marketplace because if I bring you a perfect business right now, you're not going to buy it because you're not going to feel good about it. Right. When you go to shop a car, you're probably not going to buy the first one that you look at. You're going to look at five or you're going to look at five on the internet and say, okay, these are the prices that people are charging. You know, you walk in and the, and the dealer wants to charge a $10,000 above sticker and you're like, oh my God, that's ridiculous. And then you realize everybody else is charging 20. Yeah. All of a sudden you felt good. So you have to do this thing. I always tell people you have to get educated. And that's what we're here to do. We're here to help people. We want to do good deals for good people. A smart person surrounds themselves with smarter people. Yeah. And that really, I think to me, is a driving home thing I want everyone to understand is that, you know, Transworld is one resource, right? 
But the thing is to buy a business, you need to have other different good resources to help advise a CPA. You need a bank. Uh, should you need financing? You need an attorney. You need all these other different things. And they all have to work together. It's not like it's just you. They have to work together. And so if right. one of those people doesn't work together with the others, that causes a problem. That's right. You know? That's right. Yeah. That's right. So the last thing, Andy, I want to go over with you and talk about is what is next for Transworld? Hmm, that's a great question to finish this with. What is next? Well, you know, so I do believe in a couple of things that, you know, I, I have my eyes on. First of all, we, we're going to continue to expand. So we uh, just sold a franchise to the UAE. To, so we have wow. an office in Dubai now. And, you know, again, that's great because, you know, there there's a lot of money there that they want to yep. invest in businesses and there's a lot of businesses over there. Wow. So uh, we're working with them over the last couple of weeks to get them rolling. So we have other countries that hopefully will come on board soon. You have to go to the United Arab Emirates to uh, do this or I mean, do you have to go there or do you do you go? I you know, it's funny. It's so there's sometimes when we open up uh, franchises and we've opened up in Australia and UK and the places People are like raising their hand in my company saying, I, I want to go. go. I want to go. Yeah. Well, UAE happens to be one of those. Everybody wants to go to Dubai. Yeah, it's sure. like, I want to yeah. go. I want to yeah, go. Yeah, 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 yeah. So we have some people going. And then you like, we opened up South Africa and everybody's like, I don't know if I want to sit on a plane. Go to yeah, South right. Africa. Exactly. Yeah. Doesn't quite and um, and so one of my guys, uh, one of my guys who loves hunting and stuff, he's like, I'll go. I definitely want to go to South Africa. So uh, he's been, been down there a few times. So no, I don't personally, you know, I eventually go. You know, once they get set up and uh, they'll, they'll have an event or something, and I'll, I'll definitely wind up Got going it. to the UAE at some point. The other thing is big, and I know you, that you both believe in this too. Uh, you know, I, I am a marketer. You talked about business brokers that just are happy with one office. Well, I'm, a, you know, I don't believe in being a brokerage. I believe in being a marketplace, and and I believe the bigger the marketplace, the more choices people have. So I want to create that dynamic marketplace. And so that means continuing to grow the marketplace. everyone's standards. And so that takes technology. So I think that's a big thing moving forward. So, you know, we will continue. Sounds exciting. Technology, continue to invest in data uh, and understanding data and understanding AI. And I think that's where the business world is going. Uh, and being able to uh, harness those things to continue to grow the marketplace and make it easier for people to buy and sell. So it sounds like, so are you actually working on uh, developing software that's specifically tailored towards buying and selling businesses? Is that what you're explaining? So, so yes. I mean, I've been doing that for 20 years. Uh, you know, I keep laughing. You know, I, I explain these things to developers uh, and some of the things that we've built and we're continuing to build. And I said, I've hired eight different companies to build this, to build this. And you know, that this last one we have is the first one to kind of get it there. It's still not where I want it to be. You know, it still doesn't predict. It doesn't, you know, I want it to basically be able to tap you guys on the shoulder on the morning and say, we just listed a business that we think is perfect for you. You know, it's still a little bit of there. There's still some newsletters that go out and some matching that goes on, but it's not perfect, right? We want to get it to be that to the is point. exciting because I feel like you know to be the first person to be able to do that, it ultimately means that Andy Cagnetta has figured out something that no one else has that helps more people get exactly what they want in the best way possible. Well, you're, that's you're, awesome. You're, and I think pioneer. it's even beyond that, right? So it's going to get to the point where two things that number one, we on the buy, on the sell side, on the buy side, if you guys are out there in the marketplace buying something and we're matching it, not only are we are matching you to businesses that are for sale, we might start matching you to businesses that aren't for sale and then going to those owners and saying, by ah. the way, you match the criteria of somebody that does want to ah, buy. Yes. Have you ever thought about selling? And this is what we think you can get for it. Very smart. Fascinating. And then, and then the other thing is on the buy side, you know, every one of my 700 brokers that's in a BNI somewhere should be teaching their local businesses saying, by the way, you're you're in a networking group. You're trying to grow. You're advertising. You're trying to grow. Have you ever thought about growing through acquisition and we're going to help you? And this is how mm. we're going to put you in our system and you're going to grow by acquisition. 
So well, yeah, actually, B&I groups, BNI groups are like hot leads. I mean, they're like everyone's your captive audience. Right. Well, everyone there is looking for business. Yeah. Why not just go? Yeah. Purchase. Acquire some. and purchase yeah. the business. Yeah. Right. Right. You want more customers and you want to service more lawns, then go buy a low lawn business. You got right. more lawns. And, That's right. And with data, eventually, we're going to recognize that you know that business owner is you know 35, 40 years old, and that person should be buying and acquiring. And someday we'll figure out, you know, that that business owner is 65, 70 years old, 75 years old, yeah. and it's time for them to sell. Yeah. So you're there. You're there at both ends. That is really inspirational. I think that's amazing that that is actually what's next for you. I really look forward to seeing how it develops and how it helps us, because I certainly wouldn't mind uh, having more information come our way and more options because, you know, the time strikes you a little bit differently. You know what I mean? Like, Sometimes right. you're ready, but you're only ready for a short period of time. Like you might only think that, like, I really don't want to buy a business this year, but then you get like a day, you're just like charged and you're yeah. like yeah, yeah. on top of the world. Yeah. And then you get an option in front of you and be like, you know what, maybe it really is the right time or whatever. And I think that that software would really be able to hit the nail on the head with that. Yeah. Jonathan and I wish you uh, with full hearts, uh, continued success with everything. And thank you so much in playing the role that you have with uh, what we're trying to do. Well, thank you for being our number one awesome customer. We, I really, you know, we really do appreciate it. You guys are a great success story. Thank you. Uh, you do, you know, you're, you're great customers of ours because you include us in your deals and you understand our value. And we couldn't, you know, we couldn't ask for anything else from, from clients. Thank you like very you, much. So. Thanks, Andy. Can you let everyone know where they can find you at if they want to connect with you? I know you have your own podcast. You have an amazing book. Uh, please tell everyone where they can find you and where they can pick up your book. Yeah. So you could go to my website, tworld.com and somewhere there, there's a landing page to get the book. And of course, uh, you could always email me at ac at tworld.com. And we are on the deal board podcast and we have our own website as well. And of course, we're on all the major players out there. And we'd love for you to be a part of our fan club and downloads on a weekly, uh, bi-weekly basis as, as well. So. Andy, thanks so much. And thanks for joining us on the Cultivating Success Podcast. Thank you. This has been the Cultivating Success Podcast with Jeff Sofer and Jonathan Wolfson. To learn more about Jeff and Jonathan and their businesses, visit www.naturesexperts.com.